If you have been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series called Fully Alive, and we are um, kind of drawing from the wisdom of St. Irenaeus, who says this, that the glory of God is humankind fully alive. And the reason why we are um, moving in this direction of talking about life and life more abundantly is that here at our Southeast Raleigh table, our tagline is that we're about that life-giving life. And yes, we totally stole off of that popular phrase, I'm about that life, but um, we actually believe it's undergirded by something more than just a trend. We believe that... Um, that in this lifetime that we have, from the day that we take our first breath to the day that we take our last breath, our days could be days that are manufactured where we try to be our own God, where we try to fix our own mess, where we're trying to somehow present ourselves in the world so that um, people might think that we are something, but we're not actually living deeply or intentionally or rooted versus what it is to know what it is to have the fullness of life. And we believe that... Um, that in a, a culture that is oftentimes enamored with talking about life, for instance, you remember the very popular song that came out last year, I'm Living My Best Life. Um, we're enamored with life, and I think that we're enamored with what good, full life looks like because many of us actually aren't experiencing it. We're trying so hard, we're striving, we're toiling to have like depth and meaning in our relationships. We're trying and toiling so hard to have depth and meaning in our jobs or our vocations. We're toiling and trying so hard um, to have depth and meaning in our everyday, ordinary, waking moments. I think we are so enamored with life because sometimes life and life more abundantly feels so far away from us. And so we're just going to go ahead and tell you from the jump that we believe that within the Christian tradition that there's something very special about our lives being anchored um, in Jesus's life. One, because of who Jesus is. Jesus says in the Gospels over and over again that I am the resurrection and I am the life. That Jesus and Jesus's person is actually um, the overflow of life. But also, too, that Jesus invites us not into mirages. Jesus does not um, invite us into a counterfeit way of being but invites us into um, a life that is greater than anything we could ever try to manufacture on our own. So in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. Um, Jesus says to um, the Pharisees and those who want to follow him, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And this is the beautiful thing about this invitation that Jesus offers up um, to those who heard his voice and to those who are here in this place who can hear God still speaking is that this life and life more abundantly, or life to the overflow, life that is deep and meaningful and rich, it's not just in the great getting up morning. It's not just simply about um, life after life, but that in the here and now, that in the here and now, we don't have to settle. We don't have to settle because Jesus didn't give us scraps says that Jesus gave us everything, the greatest gift, so that we might know in the here and now what it is to live a deep and a full and a redeemed and a grace-filled and a graceful life. And so last week we talked about how um, when we are celebrating, that is one of the ways in which we actually lean into this life-giving life, this life in the overflow. That even in the midst of our sorrow, our joy becomes the way that we're like, uh-uh, death, not today. It's, you know, that's, it's celebrating is our way of saying that um, our hard moments, our hard days, our tears are not the end for us. 
Uh, but that when we are filled to overflowing with joy with the people around us, when we're laughing, that that actually points to the kind of life that God would have for us. And today, we're going to talk about how we can become fully alive in rest. I want you to turn to someone and say rest. That doesn't mean fall asleep during the sermon. It just simply means this is what we're going to talk about. So I want to read this quote um, that I saw uh, earlier this week. Um, it says, we humans have lost the wisdom of genuinely resting and relaxing. We worry too much. We don't allow our bodies to heal, and we don't allow our minds and hearts to heal. I want you to hear this. We worry too much. We have lost, I want to say we've lost the art of resting and relaxing. You know, um, some of my favorite days are snow days. I want just enough snow that I don't have to go to work, but not so much snow that I can't watch Netflix because there's no power. <laughs> there is something so special about snow days. You know why? Because I don't feel guilty, because I know that everybody else has probably snuggled up watching the Great British Baking Show, drinking hot cocoa. Um, but we have lost the art of relaxing and rest. And because of that, we oftentimes find that our bodies are tired, that our minds are tired, that our emotions are always racing. And I have to say this, that's no way to live. When you feel like you can barely get yourself out of the bed, or when you always feel like you're on the point of a breakdown, or when your mind and your heart can never sit down at the table and actually have a decent conversation, but you always feel like you're at odds. And then there's this gift of relaxing and rest that helps us to come back to ourselves. So I'm going to talk to us today about this gift of rest. So here's a couple of things that I want you to know, because this sermon's going to be a little different than how I typically, when I'm like jumping all over the place and hopping and all these types of things, this is going to be one of those sermons where it might be helpful to take a couple of notes, because I'm going to I'm kind of walk through some ways that we might understand this gift of rest that God has given us. Um, the second thing that you need to know is that I'm going to use the term rest, recreation, and Sabbath. So Sabbath being this day that is set apart, I'm going to use those words interchangeably. So I don't want you to think that I'm like talking about three different realities, but if I use any of those terms, rest, recreation, or Sabbath, I'm basically talking about the same thing, about what does it look like for us to slow down um, and to be rooted in a life that is not frenetic. The other thing is that I'm going to read um, three different passages of scripture, and this is something that I don't typically do. There are some church traditions where people will read about 525 scriptures by, I mean, they will like literally go through all kinds of things. And sometimes when I'm in my kind of critical mode and I'm listening to some of those sermons, I'm like, we are, this is a mess. Like, this is not, I don't know what this is all about. Fret not, my friends. Alas, the three passages of scripture that I'm going to read, I'm kind of um, throughout the sermon, they are actually connected to one another in regard to helping us build um, this case for, for rest. I also want um, to say this, never be afraid if you are ever in a place where you feel like people are pulling passages of scripture here, there, or from everywhere, to push back and to say, help me to understand how those passages of scripture are connected. So this is me as your pastor saying, it's okay to interrogate 
from time to time. You can even interrogate me. Maybe we can sit together on a snow day watching the Great British Baking Show and have conversation over cocoa. Um, the, the other thing is that these passages of scripture are basically kind of in chronological order, meaning um, when they actually happened within um, salvation history or within the biblical tradition, I'm going to actually go in order. So you don't have to worry about why is she taking me here, there, and, um, and everywhere. The other is that when I talk about rest, rest can be understood as physical um, spiritual and also emotional or mental. And I'm just going to let you um, sit with however God might be speaking to you um, around this idea um, of rest. And then the last thing that I'm going to say is that in these passages of scripture, it does refer to the Sabbath day, which we typically think of Sunday as, um, as the Sabbath. So when I was growing up, most grocery stores, most restaurants, they were not open on Sunday. It was like the day you were supposed to just sit quietly and somehow like levitate before the Lord. Um, I don't know if any of you grew up that way, but it was a day that kind of collectively communities took a day of rest. Now, Sundays for Lisa Yaboa, this ain't no day of rest. I mean, I know I might look like I'm about to twirl all around this place, but this is work, friends, okay? Um, <laughs> I had to find something I didn't have to iron because that's just how the struggle is on a Sunday morning. Um, so when we talk about a rest day or finding, um, carving out time for rest, it doesn't have to be Sunday. I don't want you to feel so um, kind of bound to that. For some people, it might be the first day of the week. It might be a Friday. Your Thursday might be the day that you're able to take um, a breather. So those are the things that I just want to share with you before, uh, before we begin. So I want to read, um, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 2. This is um, in the creation story. And I'm going to begin with... Um, God creating humankind. And it says um, in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, so God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And then um, it says this, and then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, and this is the sixth day of God creating. And then in chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude, and on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, St. Augustine says that our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. So we pray, O oh God, that by the power of your word read and also proclaimed, you might carve out space for us to know our best selves as we know what it is to rest in your goodness to rest in your spirit, to rest in your truth. God, I pray that you would take my words hostage so that we would hear your still small voice alone. Would you turn down the volume on all the other voices that would seek to distract us, even our own voice that tells us, oh my goodness, I need to get this done or I've left this undone, so that, Lord, we might be present to you in the way in which you are present to us. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. So the way our culture is set up, um, it has us believing lies about our capacity. We say things like, oh, we're going to work ourselves to death. We say things like, you need to always be about that hustle. You need to be about that grind. I'll sleep when I die. Let me tell you, friends, if you don't sleep, you will die, okay? This culture has us believing that there is always um, something that we need to do, that um, the tyranny of busyness needs to be the banner over our lives. This culture does not remind us that we are finite. This culture does not tell us that we are actually mortal. Um, this culture does not tell us that we actually get tired. We reward people for pushing through, for eking it out, we sometimes even pat people on the back when they say, it's been so many months or so many years that I haven't taken a vacation, and we'll glorify that. The thing about this culture is that it will tell us lies about our capacity. But I'm going to tell you something. Toiling does not bring about life. No one has ever said, I hustled to the point of death. Woo, that feels so good. I haven't slept in three days. Boy, I feel so energetic. You know, my mom um, was a teacher for Head Start. And when I was in fourth grade, my, my mother um, put together all of her coins so that she could travel back to Ghana, West Africa, so she could see her family members. When my mother came back from that particular trip, because she had put herself into so much debt by trying to go back and visit her family members, she had to take a second job. She had to do what she had to do. And I recognize that. But it was probably the saddest time in my mom's life to work a full-time job, to come home, to barely like have something to eat, and then to have to go work a second job. Now, we might say she had to do what she had to do, but I'm going to tell you something, friends. Toiling never really feels like life. But life in God originates with rest. Now, I'm not talking about laziness. Laziness is different. I'm going to preach a whole other sermon about that, okay? So, friends, rest is not the opposite, you know, of, um, or work is not the opposite of, of necessarily being lazy. I'm not saying that, you know, you just need to whatever. But life in God originates in rest. So let me tell you. So in the um, creation narrative, it says that God creates all that is above and all that is below. And um, for over the course of six days um, is about creative work. And it's on the sixth day that God says, you know what, let me make humankind in my image. And so male and female, God creates us in God's image. And we are set apart because we are the only of God's created order that actually bears God's image. Oh, isn't it so beautiful? The people around you right now bear the face of the most high God. So God was doing something distinct by creating us. And then God gives us power and the right to steward all of creation, not to lord our power over creation, but to steward creation. And it says then, when God looks at everything that God has created on the sixth day, God is like, it is very good. And God blesses creation. So people who like to tell you like, um, that creation first starts off with a curse, like you know, God is like reprimanding us, you just say, uh-uh. First, God starts with setting us apart and with offering up a blessing over us. And then on the seventh day, which seven is um, a number of completion, 
it says that God rests. And that God makes this day holy or set apart. That there is something beautiful about this particular day of God resting. Now, this is what I want you to know. God does not rest because God is tired. It's not like God is like, oh, myself? This was so hard. That's not what's going on here, friends. The prophet Isaiah tells us that um, God does not sleep or slumber and God does not get tired. This is not about God just not knowing what to do and needing to take a siesta. But that... um, in that ceasing to create and to kind of, uh, to let humankind kind of marinate in the beauty of creation is to say something beautiful about that creative act and then the rhythm of also leaning into rest because God, though God may not get tired or weary, God does model life for us. So God rests, which means that the first day of humanity is that Humankind also gets to rest. Imagine getting a job and they tell you, don't show up the first day because we want you to rest. Some believe this is God's way of helping us to understand that rest is a gift and not something that we have to earn. Because what if, what if the first day of humankind, that God had laid out this plan, okay, like Adam, Eve, I want you guys to be about plucking the fruit, I need you to be tolling the ground, I need you to de-shed the golden retriever, then we would think that, oh, we have to work, and then we can earn our rest. But instead, that God is like, no, just because you have been created, I want to give you this gift. So there's something about the character of God, that rest that flows from God is good, and it is holy, and we're invited into it. And guess what? When something is important, and when something is good, and when something changes us, and when something makes for life, that is the first thing, when humankind is not at its best, we want to take away. So let me explain this for you. I'm going to come and walk among you. At the height of Jim Crow, guess what we were not allowed to do? I could not sit down at the same table with Whitney. Why? Because something about table fellowship together is good. During the Holocaust, people um, could not have agency to go and to move and to be out and about wherever they wanted to be because to have that agency was good and and, and right and maybe when we actually bump into one another we might realize that our experiences are very similar and even though we might have different religious traditions that we still want to care for our children and love and love our, our our the people in our lives well at the height of apartheid people were uh dictated where they could live and where they couldn't live. Because maybe if I lived beside you, you might recognize that we want the same things for our lives. So that's what you do, you take it away. You always take away the things that are important. Well, let me tell you this twist of events that happens for the people of God called the Israelites. They were taken captive in Egypt. And guess what is the one thing that the Egyptians took away from the Israelites? You can call it out. I have no gifts for you, but you can try to call it out. Rest. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, rest was prohibited. 
when the Israelites were taken as slaves in Egypt, rest was prohibited. When the Israelites were taken as slaves in Egypt, rest was prohibited. The way in which you made a distinction between those who were just to be as workhorses and those who had the fullness of humanity was rest. Those who could not rest were those who were bound up. Those who could not rest were those who had someone telling them what to do. Those who could not rest were those who were held hostage. Those who were not, um, who could not rest were denied a gift. Rest was the great distinction between those who were slaves and those who were not slaves. The very gift that God gives to humanity was the gift that was taken away by the oppressor. It was the gift that was stripped. So, um, in Exodus chapter 20, which is the next passage of scripture that I'm going to read for us, God, um, after the, the Israelites have been uh, freed from Egypt, Moses, who's this great character, is like, has this wonderful, liberating moment, and now the Israelites are journeying through the wilderness. It says for 40 years that they journey. Then God gives them these laws to order their lives. And in Exodus chapter 20, um, beginning with verse 8, this is what the scripture says. Now remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord, your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave. This was the major thing. Your livestock, tell the cows, sit down. Or the alien resident in your towns. By God, speaking to Moses, to make rest into law was a means of resistance to say, you no longer are those who have been subjugated by taskmasters. You no longer are only known by what you can do, but who you also are, that you are my created. You're not human doings, you are human beings. And so I'm going to invite you to rest as a sign of resistance. This is what gives you life. So even those who are quote unquote enslaved in your midst, even your livestock, even the people who you may not speak the same language with, all of y'all, relax. Because a God who creates and recreates does not call us into a life that takes out life. God always invites us into a life that brings more life. So God's like, let me tell you, it's not nine commandments and one suggestion. You know, don't murder, but like be all over the place. No. Listen, when you don't rest, you might want to murder somebody. Talk about why you're breathing so hard, and now you're shaking the people, and like, let them, let them go. Let, let them go. Rest was God's way of saying, I know that you were slaves in Egypt, but uh-uh. What I set up for you is the thing that I want you to lean into so that you might know your humanity. This is why we should feel righteously angry when people are trafficked. 
This is why we should feel righteously angry when people work so hard and they're always trying to make the decision that um, are they going to try to pay their bills to do this or, or they're going to pay their bills to do that. We should feel brokenhearted when there are individuals, not because they don't work hard, can never take a vacation, because when they, don't take, when they take a vacation, they are not going to get paid and they will not be able to sustain life. That's not life, friends. Something about that should cause our hearts to break because God says, this is what makes you human. That you're not a human doing, you are actually a human being. We all need to be granted space to breathe so that our bodies can heal and our minds can heal and our hearts can heal. You know what's so interesting? Is that sometimes we've enslaved ourselves. Are we really living when we're workaholics? Are we really living when we make the people that we work with feel really guilty when they want to find a little bit of breathing room in their lives? Are we really living when we're always moving around and we never take time to just breathe or to be? And the thing is, when we set up our lives in a way that we do not rest, we become a slave to this life. We then begin to be held hostage by the patterns that we create. We begin to be held hostage by the expectations that are unrealistic that we have set for ourselves and also for other. We begin to be held hostage by not being able to just stop and to push the reset button so that we might know ourselves as human beings and not as human doings. But here's the good news, is that Jesus will save us from ourselves. <laughs> when we become our own taskmasters, when we let our calendars or our planners or the expectations or whatever lie that culture has told us, Jesus will save us from ourselves. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, many of you have probably heard this passage um, said in this way. Jesus offers this invitation saying, come to me who will, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But Eugene Peterson in the message version says it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And Eugene Peterson's version of this particular passage of scripture, rest and life are synonymous. Come to me and I will give you back your life. The thing that is trying to snuff you out, the expectation that is causing you to be so burdened with your head down low, I will, I, will, I will take that thing away from you and I will actually give you the thing that will help you to know that you are God's good created. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Heavy burdens 
That's not life. Going to bed at night with lists running through your head, that's not life. Feeling like you can barely come up for air, that is not life. Worrying all the time, that is not life. Your heart beating fast with palpitations, that is not life. Feeling like you're going to die under the weight of work, that is not life. Not being able to be present to yourself because you're always somewhere else worrying for about some other problem or situation, that is not life. But this is what I can tell you, friends. Whether because of the systems of this world you feel like life has been taken away from you, or maybe you have fallen into the temptation of believing the lie, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Do you know what that means? Rest is a means of trust. I cannot rest unless I trust. Trust that even if I don't send this email at 11.23 at night, it's going to be okay. Trust that if I sleep for five extra minutes on top of a 15-minute nap, the world will not fall apart. Trust that if I choose to show up for a friend in a particular moment, that the work will still get done. Come to me, trust me, that I will not put an anvil around your neck or around your heart, but that I will give you breathing room. As our worship team comes back, um, I'm going to tell you how it is that I'm going to invite you to actually live into these things. Because it's nice for me to talk and talk and talk and talk. How many of you have to go to work tomorrow? Not a lot of you. Okay. And the ones who do, we're going to make it fun for you. Most of you are getting a day off. Will you use that day off to try to get ahead? Excuse me, try to get ahead? Or might this be the day that you're like, Lord, you're, maybe you've carved out some space for me to like sit and consider what I might need to let go of? God, maybe you just want me to like walk in your good creation and actually notice that the leaves are beginning to change. You might be in the same room with your children, but you've not really been with your children. Or the person you call your beloved. The one that your heart flings to the heavens, songs of praise, but you've not spoken to them a word of life. Tomorrow you actually get a chance, friends pastor move to rest. Some of y'all need to make it a date day. Some of you just need to like maybe sit with scripture because you've kind of gotten out of whack with your um, practices. 
Some of you might, might even need to put together um, a means of how it is that every single week, even if it's for a three-hour block, that you cease to create, but you lean into rest. So that might be crafting the most beautiful out of office reply. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes because it's easier said than done. So I'm going to offer this prayer over us. It's a prayer to welcome rest. Lord of creation, create in us a new rhythm of life, composed of hours that sustain rather than stress, of days that deliver rather than destroy, of time that tickles rather than tackles. Lord of liberation, by the rhythm of your truth, set us free from the bondage and baggage that break us, from the pharaohs and fellows who fail us, from the plans and pursuits that prey upon us. Lord of resurrection and life, may we be raised into the rhythm of your new life, dead to deceitful calendars, dead to fleeting friend requests, dead to the empty peace of our accomplishments. To our packed full planners, we bid peace. To our over-caffeinated consciences, we say cease. To our suffocating selves, Lord grant release. Drowning in a sea of deadlines and death chimes, we rest in you, O God, our lifeline. And by your ever restful grace, allow us to enter into your Sabbath rest, your recreation, even as your Sabbath rest enters into us. In the name of our creator, our liberator, our resurrection and life, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.